So I'm glad that we're spending a few weeks uh, talking about um, a topic as important as money. I've been both challenged and encouraged by the things that Jamin's been talking about the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to share this morning uh, with you this morning. Um, money impacts all of us. It's something that we think about every day. It impacts the job that we take and what we do on the weekends. We spend it when we're down. There's anxiety when we don't have enough of it. And fights over it are a, a leading cause of divorce today. Now think about this. Is there anything else in our society that is this important yet so rarely discussed? We're not taught financial literacy in school and it's such a taboo topic in our culture today that we, we don't really know how to talk about it with friends. Yet we see Jesus talking about it all the time. Why is that? Well, he knew the role that money plays in our lives and he knew the connection that it has to our hearts. The title of this series is Possessions, though the last S is in parentheses. The idea is that we can have possessions or our possessions can have us. Another way of saying this is that money is a tool that you use or a God that uses you. It's a, it's a great tool, it's a terrible God. Another way of saying it is that we can learn how to master money or money can master us. Now, you might think it's an easy choice. Have possessions or be possessed. Money's a tool or money's a God. Master money or be mastered. Like, I'll take door number one. But if we look at our behaviors and our practices, we see that it's a little bit trickier. It's not always that black and white. Money is a tangible resource, something that we can actually hold in our hands. But money is also emotional. Money's psychological. It's tricky. Each one of us has a relationship with money. And just like with a human relationship, it can be good or it can be not so good. If we're gonna learn how to master money, we've got to take a look at the relationship we've had with it. Take a look at the scripts that we've learned surrounding money. Do a deep dive into the role that it's played in our lives and hopefully be able to talk about it with others. What I wanna do this morning is to talk about what it looks like and what it feels like to be mastered by money. And then I wanna talk about what it looks like and feels like to, be, to learn to master money. Before we dive in, just a word about this workshop that you've hopefully heard about uh, last couple of weeks from Jamin or in the newsletter. Um, I just wanna say, um, I'll say, I don't have a degree in finance. Um, I, I'm not a stockbroker, I'm not a financial planner. I'm, uh, I'm just someone who has a, a deep interest in better understanding and optimizing my own finances. I've had moments in my life where I felt truly mastered by money. It's not a good feeling. And I've had times in my life where I felt like I was on a path to learning how to master money. This morning, is, uh, the way I would describe it is kind of the theological and, and philosophical framework for what I think about with money. And in five weeks, November 12th, it's a Saturday morning, we're gonna really flesh a lot of this stuff out. A lot of nuts and bolts, hopefully really, really practical. We're gonna talk about making money and spending money and saving money and investing money. Um, Jamin said last week or the week before that if there is any place where we ought to be able to talk about this, it's church. And I am a, man, I am a, a big believer in that. And so, um, 
I'll say this, it's a, it's a no shame zone. Um, money is a tricky thing, as I said, and we've all made our share of mistakes, places where we wish we could have do-overs. And so um, we want to learn from one another. It's gonna be in times where I'll have you, you know, writing some stuff down, um, reflecting, and there'll be times where we can kind of share best practices, share, we might share some of our failures, but everybody in here, everyone in our community has, has areas where they're rocking. And I think for us to be able to share those things makes us better as a community. So um, I hope you'll sign up when those start and I hope you'll join us. All right, so uh, what does it look like to be mastered by money? I just wanna share three things here. Um, the first is that we respond to culture. We respond to culture. What do I mean by this? Well, let's start by looking at some current statistics on how Americans handle money. And they're, they're, they're not pretty, I'll tell you that. We'll start with student loans. Americans today hold $1.2 trillion in student loans. The average student loan is $29,000. Average car loan is just under $30,000. The average payment is over $500 a month. Average credit card balance is $15,000. Half of American households describe themselves as living paycheck to paycheck. Half of households have less than one month of their income saved for an emergency. And 19% have $0 saved for an emergency. What happens when the emergency happens? Well, there's more debt. Only 30% of Americans would say that they have a long-term financial plan that includes savings and investment goals. Just under 60% of Americans are saving for retirement, and of those, only 10% is saving at least 15%. How about poverty? Poverty rate nationally is 12%. For kids, it's 16%. And I probably don't have to tell you that in Memphis, it's worse. Poverty rate is 21% in Memphis, and for kids, it's 35%. As I was doing a, a bit of a deep dive on just research on some of this, I was reading about one of the worst things in our society, payday lending. 12 million Americans use payday loans every year. The average loan is $375 with an average of $520 in fees. Texas has the highest allowable APR, 664%. I did not make that up and it's not an error. The sad part is that only 14% of payday loan borrowers can pay back their loans. So this is just a snapshot of where our culture is with money and it, it's not good. Uh, many years ago, I heard this phrase, people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. When I hear these statistics, I don't think of freedom and flourishing, I think of restriction, I think of being aimless, no plan, no goals, just drifting. Imagine a canoe with no oars. You just go where the wind takes you. And the wind here is culture. So what does it look like to be mastered by money? Number one, we respond to culture. Number two, we respond to culture, and this leads to a life that's marked by consumerism. Consumerism is no accident. It's been part of our country's marketing strategy for decades. You've heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Fun fact, I actually have next door neighbors named the Joneses, so it's literal. This is where we see our neighbor or our friend get something, and now we think there's something wrong with us that we don't have it. 
So we, we look it up online, right? We look it up online, and next thing we know, it's on our, all over our dang Facebook feed. Is that an accident? Is it, is it the Lord? No, it's, it's intentional. It is very intentional marketing and technology. It's a well-oiled machine that we have to be aware of. Every minute of our day, culture is preaching a message about money. It tells us that if we have fill in the blank, then we will be happy. People will like us more. Maybe we will even like ourselves more. But is it true? Does the message deliver on its promise? So often we don't ask that question. Or how about this? Um, have you ever felt like this? This is from a, an author named, named Liz Timms. I think it's on the screen. It says, she says, we were spending more and more money in increasingly desperate attempts to mitigate the frustration and discontent we felt over our jobs. We were working for the weekends and spending the money we'd worked so hard to earn in an effort to make ourselves feel better about how hard we worked. It was a vicious cycle. Have you ever felt that? I remember when I first felt the grip of consumerism in my life. I was, the year was 1983 and I was nine years old. I was a big fan of G.I. Joes. Any G.I. Joe fans here? I know I'm, I'm dating myself there. Um, there was this one action figure that I couldn't find anywhere. Um, I've got his picture on the screen here. It was the Arctic Trooper named Snowjob. You know, in retrospect, I'm not sure why I like this guy so much. If I'm commanding a mission, which I guess I was, I'm going with snake eyes every time. He's a ninja and he's awesome. Not so much this guy. Aside from the annual winter mission in the Alps, this guy isn't getting in the game that much. I mean, what do you do with the parka and the skis? But at the time, he had captured my heart and I had to have him. We looked for him everywhere. I mean, this was obviously before Amazon where you click and it shows up on your doorstep the next day. I gotta give my mom props here, major props, because she was happily engaged, involved in my mission with me. And so we would go to Raleigh. I lived in Tipton County and Raleigh is where we went back in 1983. And we would go and we would, I would have my, my action figures with me in the back seat, and I was a pretty creative kid. And so we'd be on this mission to rescue one of the guys who was kidnapped and, um, and I would go in the store with my mom and I would a little bit later come out a failure once again and they weren't happy. I don't, sometime later I uh, go with my dad to a store. My dad was not quite as involved in the mission as my mom was. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the mission he just had to run into a store to get something. And I think you know where this story's going. I'm walking down an aisle, not thinking about anything. And it was like a light from heaven shone down and there he was. But being that it was 1983 and I was nine years old, I had no money, I had no visa. And uh, I try to explain the whole mission thing to my dad and he doesn't buy it. And he doesn't literally buy it for me. Um, I don't remember what happened next. It was probably so down. Somehow I got it. I don't know if I talked my mom into going straight back to that store, um, but I did get it. And uh, for the next four days, my life was better than it had ever been. And then, um, I mean, the skis were great and all, but the euphoria kind of wore off. 
and then I wanted something else. Now, it doesn't have to be GI Joes, but we all, I think, can think of something, multiple somethings probably that you felt like that and you just had to have. Do you know what the path of consumerism leads to? It's not fulfillment, at least after four days. It's discontentment. With discontentment, what satisfied us for a while no longer satisfies us and we need more. That's the word. I wish I could tell you that my battle with consumerism ended that day, but it didn't. Uh, I wanna read this. This is from an author and pastor named John Mark Comer. It's on the screen. It says, what if the formula more stuff equals more happiness is bad math? What if more stuff often just equals more stress? More hours at the office, more debt, more years working in a job I don't feel called to, more time wasted cleaning and maintaining and fixing and playing with and organizing and reorganizing and updating all that junk I don't even need. What if more stuff actually equals less of what matters most? Less time, less financial freedom, less generosity, which according to Jesus is where the real joy is. Less peace as I hurry my way through the mall parking lot less focus on what life is actually about, less mental real estate for creativity, less relationships, less margin, less prayer, less of what I actually ache for? What if I were to reject my culture's messaging as a half-truth at best, if not a full-on lie, and live into another message, another gospel? Oh, I like that. <clears throat> so what does being mastered by money feel like? Well, we respond to culture, which leads to a life marked by consumerism. And number three, the fruit of all of this is an anxious heart. All of this puts together leads to a ton of anxiety. Living paycheck to paycheck, anxiety. Having large student loans and credit card debt, anxiety. There's a reason the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. If you've been in that, you feel that having no financial margin and then an emergency happens. Anxiety, high stress. I'll be honest, um, I have felt more anxiety in the last few weeks about money than I have in, in quite a while. Um, I'm in real estate and uh, the market's really changing. Rates are up and it's, it's good in that it's gonna lead to a needed correction, but it's gonna hurt a lot of people. Uh, it's gonna mean less business for me. I have rental properties. I have got several vacancies right now. I have a construction project that is way over time and over budget. Uh, Mandy and I, we had two appliances go out in the last week and a half and weird electrical issues. All of that costs money. I have felt the anxiety, I know it. Are you depressed yet? There's hope. There's good news. There's hope because it's possible to move from being mastered by money to, to begin to learn how to master money. And there are three shifts that can take place I wanna share with you. So what's it look like to master money? Number one, we move from responding to culture to being driven by vision. Uh, vision is key here, and it's not simply about setting aside time to write a plan, though that's important. The first step to vision is awareness but awareness takes courage. Um, Jamie and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. Maybe this is more a male thing than a female thing, but I've met a lot of guys in their 30s who haven't been to the doctor since they were little kids. 
And the reason is uh, if I don't know there's something wrong, um, then it's okay. Ignorance is bliss. But actually, ignorance isn't bliss, it's foolishness. Whether you're talking about your health or your finances. I remember a number of years ago, Mandy and I were on a beach in Cancun celebrating our 10-year anniversary a year late. Um, we wanted to devote some time to vision, what we, desired for our, what we desired for our marriage, for our kids who were really young at the time, for our finances, for our jobs, for our life. And I remember having a really difficult time going there, especially over finances. And the reason is until we set goals, we can't fail, right? But once goals are set, now there's opportunity for failure. And so I had this paralysis as a result that I had to fight through. We have to be courageous to go there because vision's vital. You know, one of the first steps, and this is the kind of stuff we'll, we'll talk about more, but I just wanna bring this in, in this workshop, but I wanna bring this up. One of the first steps towards awareness is just knowing your numbers. And so one thing you could do today, later on, not, not during the sermon, but later on is take a piece of paper and, and draw a line down the middle of it. And in one column, write the word assets and write down everything that you own. It might be a house or a vehicle or money in the bank or retirement accounts or furniture, whatever you've got. Um, and then in the other column, write liabilities, everything that you owe. And this might be a mortgage, it might be credit card debt or student loans or something else. And then you add up those assets and you add up those liabilities and you take the assets and just, you subtract from that number your liabilities. And that's your net worth. Everybody's got a net worth and it's good to know what it is. And it might be um, disheartening when you first do it. You might have a negative net worth. But awareness is the first step, knowing where you are so that then you can begin to develop vision, you can develop a plan, you can develop goals. When I think about developing a vision when it comes to this, I think about questions. And on first um, hearing, they don't really sound a lot about, like, about money. There's questions like, what do you want? What do you want? What makes you happy? What brings you joy? What do you want your life to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? How about this one? If you didn't have to worry about money, how would you spend your time? What things would you do? What would you give yourself to? The first step to moving from being mastered by money to learning to master money's vision. Having a vision and then allowing that vision to be the driver in your life. And those values and goals dictate your everyday decisions regarding money. So first shift is we move from responding to culture to being driven by vision. Number two is we move from a life marked by consumerism to a life marked by contentment. This is from Paul in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I love that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You ever think about that? How is contentment great gain? Have you ever thought about that? 
I think contentment reminds us of what we have rather than what we don't have. I think contentment pushes against that message of more is better, more, more, more. When I think about the word contentment, I think about the word enough. There are times when we don't have enough. I mean, we read some of the statistics, but there's a lot of times when we have enough, but we've, we've believed the lie that we don't. So have you ever asked the question, what is enough for me? And you may be at a place where you don't have enough. And that's where this vision comes from. But at some point you will have enough and you have to ask the question, what is enough? Do you think about that when you consider whether or not to take a certain job or to make that purchase? In, in my business, um, there is so much talk about scaling. Scaling is the ultimate goal. It is a hot thing. And while scaling can be good, it can also lead to a lot of complexity. And one of the things, my first thought was, yes, I scale. I mean, that just, that's the norm. But I started asking myself, if I have what I need at the moment, why do I feel the need to produce more? I think it's a real symptom of a scarcity mindset. And I get that, man, I get it. You know, it's everything's fine right now, but tomorrow may be terrible. Consumerism leads to a scarcity mindset. Contentment, on the other hand, paves the way towards abundance open hands and generosity, that there's enough for everyone. Here's more from Paul, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I see abundance and contentment going hand in hand and they are a powerful combination and they lead to generosity. So the third shift is that we move from anxiety to peace. The fruit of, of, of being driven by vision and having a life marked by contentment is peace that comes from trust that God is a good father who loves to take care of his children. We just sang about it. Think about children normally, and we read some stats that um, sadly um, make this sometimes not true, but normally a child doesn't worry that much about tomorrow. They know that their mom and dad are gonna take care of them. They don't have trouble, trouble believing that there's enough. They simply ask for what they need. And listen, this is why Jesus says that children get God's kingdom better than adults do, because of this. I mentioned that over the last couple of weeks, I've had some anxiety about money. The good thing is this wasn't my first time. <laughs> um, and I have learned some things about what to do when I get to that place. So I took some walks as Amanda said, we've got some great weather. I took some walks where I could just be quiet, where I could pray. I've journaled a good bit in the last couple of weeks. I've had to remind myself of what I know, what I know about God, what I know about myself. I kind of stumbled upon this verse a few days ago that I wanna share with you. It's from the book of Hebrews. It says, keep your lives free 
from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, just pause there. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said it's, you could think it's because worry's bad or the love of money's bad, but he says, it's because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We have to remind ourselves of this truth. I was thinking about um, when, when Moses dies and the Israelites, it's finally time to go into the promised land and they have a new leader who is no Moses and it's a whole new generation ready to go. Over and over, the, the one command that God gives is remember. Remember, remember what I've done. Remember who you are. Rem- remind one another of what I've done and who you are. And that is the, that's the big battle. That's the big battle of just reminding yourself of what you know, what God's done in, in the past. I, I titled this sermon, The Goal is Life. And um, here's what I mean by that. The goal isn't to get rich, to have a lot of money. The goal is to have life. And money can either help this or it can hinder this. I wanna um, end our time back in this passage from 1 Timothy. There's this one verse, verse nine, that I wanna go back to. Paul says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Destructions, that's a strong word. If I were to say to you, Jamin, I'm gonna destroy you. Like that's strong, that's, that's strong words, right? And that's a, that's a strong thing here. This word is uh, apolia, and it means destruction. It also means waste and regret. It's not quite as strong, it's, it's, it's serious, but not strong as strong as what we think of. It's the same word used in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, which is a, has been a really important passage for me for a long time. Link's on the screen. Jesus is, Jesus is talking here, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, Apollia, Apollia. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I have a favorite Greek word. You should all have a favorite Greek word. There's some good ones. There's some really good ones. My favorite Greek word is zoe. It means life, but not like physical life. That word is bios. The word zoe is a deeper and more beautiful word. Jesus in John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what we're talking about. It's abundance. It's life overflowing. This is Jesus's goal. This is why he came. This is the life that he offers us, what he wants for us. And in Matthew seven, he's basically saying that there are two paths One is wider than the other, which tells me that more people are on it. It's it's what's normal. It's not necessarily a bad path, but it can be a deceptive path. It's the world's message to you that what you need in order to be happy and fulfilled of all those, they just tells you this and this and this and this and this. But again, it doesn't always deliver on its promise. Jesus says it actually leads to destruction and waste and regret. But he says there's another path. It's a, 
it's a more narrow path, which tells me that fewer people are on it. It's countercultural. It, it goes against everything we're hearing. It's, uh, it's the red pill instead of the blue pill. Are there any Matrix fans? This path leads to life, to Zoe, to abundance, fullness, overflowing. What does that have to do with money? Well, I think it has a lot to do with money. Again, money is something we interact with every day. When I gave those either or, I mean, possessions are being possessed by our possessions, a tool or a God, mastering or being mastered. These are strong polar opposites, but there's not a lot of middle ground with this. Money is a powerful thing. Jesus's goal for us is to have life. And he knows that there's a way of living that leads to life. And there's a way of living that leads to destruction and waste. And the way we handle money plays a huge role. So we, when we begin to learn how to master money in a healthy way, it can lead to freedom in life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, are grateful that you came, lived this abundant life, this beautiful, sacrificial, compelling life, that you died on the cross for our sins, not simply so we can go to heaven when we die, but so we can experience that same kind of life today in the power of your death and resurrection. We're grateful that as we come to the table, we're reminded in a tangible way of that sacrifice and that life. And it's an invitation to come to you. And money seems like a really separate thing from spirituality a lot of the times, but in your mind, it's not. Something that plays such a huge role in our lives is important to you and you wanna help us. And so I pray that you'd help us. I pray that we'd be honest with where we are, with you, maybe with somebody close to us, and we would just have some hope from you that we can get in a better place. Um, thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us to this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.